You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. All right, Mark, Rodney, just the three of us this week on the Beltway Briefing. We've been abandoned by the youngins. We've got the three seasoned veterans doing the Beltway Briefing together. It's Super Bowl week, which is always exciting. And who are you guys picking? Mark. 49ers. Yeah, score. I'm an NFC guy. It's going to be 27-21. All right. Rodney, we know you're not picking the Chiefs. I am picking the Niners. I am an AFC guy, but that is the team that I despise the most because they trounce my Raiders often. But it is going to be pretty tough to beat the Chiefs and the Holmes. Um, I'm going to say 35-33, 49ers. So I, I I would go Niners, but now that you two have, I've got to go Chiefs. I'm going to say that uh, obviously they have the edge in quarterback play. And if it comes down to the quarterback, which it often does, you got to go with Mahomes. And uh, I'm going to go 24-20 Chiefs just for just to be different. Um, You don't want Mahomes to have the ball uh, with a minute left uh, down by one score. We know that. So we'll we'll know that with a minute left, you'll know who's going to win the game. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Should be fun. All right, Mark, you were very excited last night to talk about the Biden classified documents report. In fact, I suggested three topics and you countered by wanting to talk about the the Biden classified documents report. That was before Joe Biden. Timing is everything, Howard. Timing is everything. Events overtook my enthusiasm. Yeah. And that was before the president came out and made a statement and took questions from the press about the documents report. And stunningly, I don't understand why he does this, but he doesn't sit for a recorded Super Bowl interview with CBS, but he comes out on national television and does a press conference during primetime to talk about his documents case and your immediate reaction was you liked his swagger. My immediate reaction was, I think you mean stagger. Um, Mark, today you have a different take. What's your take? How'd your man do? Not, not a good night for the president. A bad night for, for a good guy is my take. Uh, look, Politically, it was a borderline debacle. It it did not accomplish its purpose. We can uh, all stipulate to that. And that's unfortunate because it's the continuing, it was a microcosm of of the continuing dilemma and dynamic of his his reelect. 
the substance and the appearance. The appearance was poor. I did appreciate and respect his defiance and, and his his pride. I don't think he did a great job of presenting that to the American people. Yes, he confused Egypt and Mexico. He's been doing that since I met him in the 1980s. That doesn't concern me substantively, but it's a bad look. It's a bad but, look. But on the other hand, just as he's getting no credit for his performance as president, which I still believe has been not even good, but great. The report was an exoneration of his conduct with some mean and irrelevant comments that he took very personally and that he didn't do a good job of diffusing. He, but he it, fueled them, he Mark. Fueled. And frankly, he wasn't president in 1985. And no, he wasn't. That's a Big difference. And, you know, there's a big difference between being a United States senator and being president of the United States. And you can't get away with the same mistakes. You can't make the same mistakes that you made as a president that you did as a senator. And it's but again, look, yeah. look at that mistake. OK, and it, it's the dilemma that we're going to be talking about through election day. Yes, he confused Egypt and Mexico in talking about President Sisi and in talking about what he accomplished, which was opening the gate that was literally locked to Gaza to allow the aid to come in. If you're measuring the man on the content of his performance as president, I'm very proud to be a friend and supporter of Joe Biden. If you're measuring the man on his presentation to the American people of a competent, confident, capable leader, not not so much, Rodney. Not so much. Rodney, what say you? You know, it's 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 nice listening to our elder statesman, Mark Alderman, and clearly, clearly <laughs> he is somewhat mentally stable. Uh, as elderly as he is, uh, yesterday was the day that even the most loyal and dedicated Biden White House staff took a step back and realized, oh, crap, this is real right now. This is so devastating to Biden and his reelection attempts, our reelection efforts, that they have got to do something completely different. And they've got to continue to send him out and do what is the weakest part of his presidency, which is convincing the American people that he's not too old, that he has a good man, that he can competently lead this country and execute the decisions that a president of the United States has to. Mark, you were great defending it. You're like James Carville without the accent defending <laughs> Bill Clinton. I mean, and Bill Clinton was a lot easier to defend after reading this report. Joe Biden, we all knew was going to be attacked for his age, his competency, his memory, his gaffes, that was always going to be part of the Trump campaign plan. Now they actually have citations. They actually have legitimate citations where he himself, in a non-presidential setting, had the exact same issues before he even got elected. That, the, this is, you know, is this going to be the issue that determines whether or not he's reelected? 
I think it's going to play a major role. And Democrats are going to have to sit back and wonder, are, are, is, is this the best candidate? And what is a process if we have to replace this candidate? And if they do, are they going to do the same? Are they going to replace him with somebody who's even weaker? Because I still think right now, Joe Biden, see, as an incumbent president, is the only person that can then probably beat Donald Trump. See, Mark, to me, this is not just about whether Biden is fit to serve. It's about whether Biden can serve out his second term. And nobody's talking about that. And I have yet to meet a Democrat that actually wants Kamala in the first chair. And you've not talked to the vice president recently <laughs> or Doug, <laughs> or um, Doug. Who, we, who we know right. and are fond of. But it's it's not just about whether he can serve on day one. This is four more years. I mean, how can you look at that and say he can serve out his second term? That was a yeah. question, Mark. I know it's not one you want to answer, <laughs> but that was actually a question. See, Again. Mark's really getting slower. I told you, Howard. He's getting <laughs> yeah, slower. No, Mark, no, Rodney, oh. Mark, Mark is not getting slower. And the Schweitzers and Aldermans have spent, fortunately, we've had the opportunity to spend a bunch of time together. And if I know anything, it's that if Mark was acting like Joe Biden, if Mark acts like Joe Biden in 10 years, Sue is going to kick his ass yeah. to make yeah. sure he has his facts straight. Well, so, and Jill should have intervened last night. Uh, that's that's another question, what they thought they were doing, putting them out there late at night, live. But, Howard, it's a very fair question, and there is not a very good answer because the man is, in fact, as old as he is. And it is a fact that in four years, he'll be four years older. And that is not... A, a good trend line for his memory or and any other traits for that matter. But I, I coming back to a couple of things. I agree with Congressman uh, Davis. He remains our best chance for beating Donald Trump. And why would we swap out our best chance for someone and who is that someone, by the way, with a, a lesser chance? And I also am dug in on this, and, and this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Tell me how this uh, supposed mental debilitation has impacted his presidency. It says he was trying to defend last night. He has done more with his first term here than I think a lot of us thought he could. And I have seen no evidence that his age has done anything to impede his performance, but the presentation is very poor. And I'm happy not to be in the White House or the campaign this morning, because as Rodney said, the, the, the alarm bells are ringing. This is a break glass in case of an emergency moment for his reelect. And I don't know what to do. I don't Look, know what to do. He's the nominee. There's no swapping out Joe Biden. Having served in multiple administrations, no one cares more about the appropriate and proper and effective functioning of the executive branch than I do. I care as much as anybody. And I think he's done 
as you said, a, a fine job, and it's been a fine first term. As he said last night, I think he righted the ship when it needed to be fixed. But that was then, and this is now, and he's running for four more years, and I, I, I think. And Howard, so I'm going to play moderator here for a moment, which uh, I, I did last week when, oh, yeah, I remember where you were. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it will. It'll be our little secret. Okay. But let me play moderator for a moment. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You do not want Donald Trump to be reelected president. I'm not going to ask Rodney the same question in exactly the same way. He may be in a different place. You do not want Donald Trump to be reelected. I, I'll president. tell you what I you want. Think this I, president has done a good, if not great job in his first term. What do you want to do this morning? I'll tell you what I want. I want a new number two, period. I want a new number two. I so want a number two okay. that the country feels confident can take the reins if, and I, I'm tempted to say when, but if Biden can no longer serve. That's what I want. And I think it matters more who that number two is now than than ever. So you want a uh, Biden-Haley ticket, a unity ticket to save democracy. That was No, I want, I want somebody that the country's going to feel good about. The, forget about the country. Democrats, you. Who I, are you going to feel good about with as in the number two spot? You know, swapping out vice presidents historically has been a uh, tricky thing. Abraham Lincoln swapped out some guy from Maine, Hamlin, I think his name was, for Andrew Johnson, figuring he'd just stay drunk for the second term. And it changed uh, American history. It's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing, swapping out vice presidents. And who, who do you want to put in? Tell me who you're going to put in to replace yes. a, an African-American woman who has served without, maybe without distinction, but also without scandal for the first term. Go ahead, Rodney. You actually think the DEI Democratic Party is going to replace an African-American sitting vice president with somebody because they're uncomfortable about her ability? No, I don't. If, if I don't. Something happens to the president. This is... I mean, I don't know what is playing in the media. Is it is there like a reel of just Biden's first two months in office replaying in Nantucket and in Maryland? Because for anybody to sit back and say Joe Biden and the Biden administration have succeeded admirably this entire term isn't talking about the abysmal Afghanistan. They're not talking about his inability to actually to put together a strategy and a, a long-term effort toward deciding whose side is he on when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and what is he going to do long-term to address the issues that we all know need to be addressed there? And what what has he done about the number one issue that's probably going to decide the special election tomorrow night in or, or next week in New York? Uh, that's going to be immigration and the invasion. Even as Al Sharpton put it, that known right-wing conservative Al Sharpton said, we have an invasion in our southern border. The Biden administration, to most of the voters in in, so, in much of America, is a disaster. So, so that's a good segue. 
That's a good segue. Let's segue to the to the border and the Ukraine Israel border package that was not, I guess, was voted down in the Senate this week. Didn't survive a a cloture vote. Rodney, is it not your team that tanked an effort to fix the border? Yeah, it was. And it's it's disappointing. I think immigration, and I've said it before in this podcast, is a new third rail of politics. It is something that no side wants to solve. Remember, we could have actually had an immigration solution when President Obama in his first term had a huge majority in the House, 60 votes, but he and his administration wanted to use it as a campaign issue in 2012. Since then, Donald Trump had the exact same opportunity for us to fix the immigration problem. We had a bill that he said he supported, two bills that he said he supported and then didn't support because he listened to a sociopathic narcissist named Mark Meadows. And now here we are again. Immigration is used as a campaign issue. And my message to my former Republican colleagues, you put James Lankford out there. It happens to be one of the nicest, most competent individuals I ever had a chance to serve with. He negotiated a deal that has less border incursions than what we have now by a substantial margin. And you're deciding that it's not enough. I think it's going to come back against Republicans, and we're going to see if it does in this special election pretty quickly. It's, I mean, as a political matter, I don't know, Rodney. I mean, people are saying Trump tanked the deal. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but he certainly tried to. But he tanked the deal. Yeah, I mean, he gave Republicans cover to take it. It's, but is that is that necessarily wrong politically? I mean, Biden owns the border. I don't, I don't know. Opening to say that Trump yeah. does. And, and, it, and it allows the debate to then center on why didn't you use your influence that you say you have to do something to reduce the border incursions? But Biden still owns this. And, and frankly, what Mike Johnson and Republicans are saying that he can fix it with an executive order, he can't. Trump did it. Yeah. I mean, to me, though, it's Ronald Reagan must be turning over in his grave because... Rhino Reagan? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, right. What is like what is this, Rodney? Look, I lived it. I lived it in my last race. I, it was amazing to me some of the things that that voters would say, and I would be like, that's just not accurate. And you don't want to get in a debate with, with voters who you're asking for their support for. But I was amazed how many be, were, were so anti-Ukraine funding when I, I I follow the Reagan doctrine. Let's stop communism in every single, every single part of the earth that we can. And to have an aggressor like Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine, why wouldn't we stick with our allies? Because eventually he's going to invade a NATO country, which means American lives are at stake and American soldiers are on the ground. So I, I'm shocked, but this is the new polarized environment where you have the far left defending the invasion of immigration on their southern border. And you got the far right actually saying, we don't want to defend freedom anymore when it comes to global, global, uh, global war, global terror. Mark, what are your thoughts? I think that there is an answer to Rodney's question. What has the president done about the border? The president has endorsed a deal that was done by on a bipartisan basis in the Senate. 
and was looking forward to signing it and on the first day using the new authority to improve the mess at the border. It got, as we just walked through for political reasons, it got killed by Trump and and his supporters in Congress. And that's just a bad thing. Whatever it is politically, does it help the president? Does it hurt Trump? It's just a bad thing for the country. We're in a place where the politics of the reelect are causing decisions that are just bad for the country. And I think that that is unfortunate. The Ukraine thing, Howard, the Tucker Carlson, Putin thing, this Republican Party is unrecognizable to me and to Ronald Reagan and generations. And and I think maybe to you, Rodney, you, you are luckily working with us instead of in that, uh, that cesspool over on Capitol Hill because the Republican Party marched away from you. But how, how did we get to a place where the Republican Party is supporting Russian aggression in Ukraine? Well, it's not, it's not supporting Russian aggression in Ukraine. It's becoming more isolationist, which is not new to Republicans or Democrats. There's always been a faction of their parties that have advocated for isolationists, a la Bernie Sanders, and that wing of your party, which has grown in strength over the last few years as the country has become more polarized. I don't believe my party has left me at all. I just believe a certain segment has decided to elect individuals that reflect the far ends of both parties. We've seen that in the defeat of most centrist Democrats in primaries or in general election matchups because the general election matchups and the electoral map of competitive seats has dwindled because of more partisan gerrymandering. And that, unfortunately, begets a more polarized Congress and more polarized elected officials that care more about what's happening on social media or what Donald Trump says in the case of my party or others in the case of your party than they do about coming up with principal compromises. And it is different and it is difficult, but it's not just one party. It's I just don't get it. I don't understand how the Republicans became this party that whimpers at the notion of playing a role in the world. And I I mean, look, I get there are some other podcasts I listen to where some really thoughtful people make a very good case for isolationism in the sense of avoiding World War Three. They're, I think, rightly concerned that I mean, we've got war on NATO's doorstep and the U.S. is essentially has essentially been in the war. It's just a proxy war, and anything can happen at any given moment. And this thing blows up, and we've got conflict in the Middle East. And it, there's reason to be concerned about a World War III. And I understand why some smart people out there say, "Let's pull back and let's not provoke." But that's different than. Tucker Carlson going to Moscow and sucking up to to put pandering to Putin, not because he wants to avoid World War Three, but because they actually think it's good politics to go suck up to Russia. 
And I don't understand it, Rodney. I don't, it, I, I don't understand that either. I mean, I, I, I don't think that was something that's reflective of the Republican Party as a whole. Um, yeah. But there's some fatigue. I mean, remember, it was Republicans who continued to fund the effort and the global war on terror and, and the Middle East yeah. and Iraq and Afghanistan. And, yep. and then all of a sudden, everything that we gained was lost because of one decision of a Democratic president named Joe Biden. And we came, it's like we're going back in time to the Taliban free Osama bin Laden and free September 11, because they're running the place again. And they're doing yeah. everything that we thought they would, like suppressing dissent, suppressing women's rights, suppressing children from being able to learn. This is exactly who we knew they were. So you can't blame some Republicans for thinking about isolationism more when it yeah. comes to what's going to happen long term. Are we going to just waste the money, and waste lives and go back to where we were just like Joe Biden and his administration allowed to happen in Afghanistan. Yeah. I mean, I I do think the fatigue point is valid. And look, it's been a since 9-11, it's been it's been a Endless tough period. War. Yeah, it's Endless tough. War. Speaking of fatigue, Rodney, I saw yesterday that your former colleague Kathy McMorris Rogers, chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee announced that she won't seek re-election. She's the, at least the second sitting committee chair in the House, Patrick McHenry being the one other that I can think of that has announced that she, in this case, won't seek re-election. What's up? I mean, I, and, and is this a case of you have to listen to what the market is telling you because Republicans are announcing disproportionately that they won't seek another term. And does that suggest that the house is, is gone? Like, are they already treating it as, as a fait accompli? Is that why your former colleagues are, are retiring? No, because I can speak from my own personal experience. And many times I thought, Hey, you know, why don't I leave now? And then you find an excuse to run again, just like I did. And, and you, you decide this is going to be my path. And then, you know, my case, it didn't work out, but, in the case of Patrick, in the case of Kathy, these are two individuals who have been engaged in both leadership and have run a very powerful committee for multiple terms and have been ranking member of that committee too. So I'm not surprised. You look at Kathy and you look at Patrick, who's younger than Kathy and me, I, I think they're looking at their family and they're saying, after the speaker's debacle, the numerous times they had to stay there and cast vote for speaker after speaker after speaker. I think they've got a little fatigue, but I also don't think it's a harbinger of bad things to come. Now, do they think, would they think, hey, there's a chance to lose the house? Well, with the slim margins, there always is. But I would argue that that's much, much less of a determining factor in why they've decided to move on than where they're at in their career, where their family feels they should be, and how they want to look at the next step in their career, because they've got a lot left when it comes to being engaged in public debate in this country. Yeah. Well, Mark, I won't name names, but Rodney and I had lunch at his favorite place, the Capitol Grill, earlier this week. Where and we met. Uh, Rodney and I uh, began our, our relationship at the Capitol Grill. We consummated 
our relationship. <laughs> with real God, please. <laughs> to the extent that's happening, that's true. <laughs> Rodney was holding court at the Capitol Grill at his table. And I won't name names, but many of his former colleagues stopped by. And Rodney, they said it wasn't, it's not like it used to be. And it, there was fatigue on their faces. And Mark, are you licking your chops at the prospect of, of retaking the house? I think we're going to retake the house. I think it is critical to the future of democracy in this country that we retake the House because we are not going to hold the Senate. We want to hold it close, but it isn't going to be a Democratic majority. And then there's the top of the ticket about which uh, enough has already been said. So, yeah, yeah, the House is a is a very important focus. I think we'll retake it. It'll be narrow, though. We are a very divided country. And the results of this election in the House, in the Senate, and in the White House are going to reflect that deep and narrow division. Mm. Nobody in November is storming to a 60-vote majority in the Senate or a working majority in the House. And whomever wins the White House, notwithstanding last night's Step back. I, I still believe it'll be a second Biden. Harris. Harris is the vice president, Howard. I'm, I'm not sure if you're focused on that Biden Harris term. But the, the presidential election is going to get decided by 100,000 votes across five states. So so deeply divided, which is not uh, unprecedented in American history, but is it is dangerous. We live in a very dangerous world. And what what we need most uh, of all here is is some common ground and some unity, and we just can't find it. We can't find it on the border. We can't find it on Ukraine. We, it it uh, um, how did we get here? Is your question? I I I think that's that's a damn good question without a great answer. Yeah, but it, what's think... interesting to me, if I may, just one other comment. You know, Rodney's colleagues come by our. Uh, our table at the uh, the Capitol Grill, or maybe Rodney coming by the townhouse to chat. Uh, I had that experience this week. But you know, saying it, it ain't like it used to be, I guess they're talking about like it used to be five years ago, eight years ago. How How far back do you have to go till it was like it used to be? Because this, we've been sliding into this abyss for for a long time. This Trump's a symptom and a cause. He didn't alone distort Congress. You know, my friend, remember my my friend Evan Bayh stepping down in uh, 2012 because it wasn't like it used to be. I guess I guess the moral of the story is it, it, nothing's ever like it used to be. Look, I mean, there's a, that's human to I saw it time and again in government where everybody complain about the head of the agency and then the head of the agency would leave and everybody would talk when the next person came along about how much better the last person was. It's like it's very that's very human. And 
I think there's an element of that. I, I also think there's more bipartisanship than than meets the eye, and maybe that's maybe I'm smoking something on that. But you know, you, there was a tax bill that just got done, and you've had infrastructure during Biden's term, and there, it's not like nothing gets done, Rodney. But the extremes on the highest profile issues the extremes control the end result. And that's the problem. They do because the media focuses on those extremes. They focuses on, they focus on the fights. Now, all you got to do is look at the suspension calendar in the house and you see tremendous, very important issues solved on a daily basis when they're in Washington in a very bipartisan way. And I tried to talk about those successes for the 10 years that I served and the media would shake their head when they would interview me and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we see that. And then they would ask me about every hot button Democrat versus Republican issue there was. So the American people who don't live, eat and breathe politics like we do because we're in it, all they ever see is the fight. And and you, you got to remember, they're going to pick who they think is going to fight the best for them. And that's why we get where we are today when it comes to polarizing politics. But I would argue that this is ebb and flow at all times throughout our nation's history. I mean, think about it. Back when Mark voted for Stephen A. Douglas over Abraham Lincoln, it was a pretty divided nation. And then you look well, just not too long ago, a few years ago, when right when I was born, the late 60s and the early 70s, we had politically motivated bombings by the hundreds. You know, we don't have that anymore. It's been a pretty divided nation. And the division eventually leads to more moderation. And we've seen that happen time and time again throughout our history and Mark's long history on this earth. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to give you, Mocking Mark, the last word, Rodney. Sorry, Mark. Fair um, enough. <laughs> Fair enough. The, the world is round. I'll get my turn. You will. <laughs> but... Uh, Guys, a fun Beltway briefing. The kids can stay. They can stay away. We got this. Yeah. This is good. Uh, All right. Enjoy the decision, Howard. Make an executive decision. There you go. Enjoy the Super Bowl, guys. Have a great weekend. And we will be back next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.